All right, check this out. If you were to walk out of the church right now and walk to your car and somebody on the street was like, yo, I'm really hungry, can I get a dollar? And you give them a dollar out of your pocket. At that moment, you know, um, what you showed was unmerited favor. That's unmerited favor. Like he didn't really earn that dollar, you know, but favor was shown upon his life by you and you gave him the dollar, right? Let's say you walk out of the church today, God forbid this ever happens, but you find somebody just like clubbing away at your like window because they want to break into your car and they break your car right in front of you because what they want to do is they want to steal something from inside your car. At that moment, you say, hey, 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 here's a dollar. Just, just go on your way. Here, here, here's a dollar. Just go on your way. At that moment, what you have shown is grace. The, because grace is exactly the opposite of what that person deserved. All right? Now, there are some that would say that grace can be upright scandalous. And today's title is Scandalous Grace. Scandalous Grace. As you guys know, we are in this sermon series called Storytime. And Storytime, we are um, going over the parables of Jesus and, and just uh, really been, I, I don't know, I think it's been uh, great to just go through these as a church and see what God is, what, what, what his word is speaking to us and what is it teaching us as we go along. Some people say grace is scandalous, right? Um, now, when you say scandal, when I say scandalous, some of you guys are thinking politicians that have been stealing money on the side, and then all of a sudden now the world finds out, right? That's a scandal, right? Some people think of, well, you know, some famous, important figures in society that all of a sudden it comes to light that they had three other families that nobody ever knew about, one in a different country, and this and that's a scandal, Right? But the word scandal isn't just that. I mean, if we, if we define the word scandal, it means an action or event regarding as um, uh, immoral, as morally or legally wrong, and causing general public outrage. Causing outrage, public outrage. Now, grace doesn't excuse wrong, and this is, what, this is where sometimes we fall into um, certain theologies that really don't align with, with, with what we believe, but grace doesn't excuse wrong, right? doesn't mean that you can keep on doing the wrong over and over again just because there's grace, but what it does is grace does kind of treasure the wrongdoer. It kind of like, it, I'm telling you, it's shocking. True grace is shocking, Right? It shakes our, it shakes our, like our, 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 our feelings, our conventions, or the, uh, when it comes to um, getting close to evil, and then it, grace is like getting close to evil and then touching it with mercy, with mercy and hope. Grace forgives the unfaithful spouse. It forgives the racist. It forgives the child abuser. These are things like, I don't know, God better work with me. Some of us have been through some experience 
in, 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 all, in all those areas and even more. And we think back to those moments, we're like, I don't know, Pastor, I guess God ain't through with me yet. I'm not there yet. But grace forgives. True grace is definitely shocking and it's scandalous. And the parable that we're going to look at today, right, um, it demonstrates that. It demonstrates that to the point where some of us will, like, inside would be like, like, like I, I don't know about that. I don't know if it was me kind of feeling, right? Um, some of you are not going to like this parable because it offends our sense of fairness. Some of you guys have said that before, right? Well, that's just not fair. It's just not fair. Why does she get this and I have this? Why does he, um, why has God opened doors for him and God hasn't opened doors for me? Why does he get to serve or she get to serve and I don't? Why am I sitting down right now? It's just not fair. I've heard it plenty of times. Trust me. <laughs> In order to get the proper understanding of the parable, I want us to, to have the, the context of what's going on before Jesus shares this parable. And so the, what's happening right before the parable that we're going to talk about, right, was, um, to get context, Jesus is telling the, the story about the young rich ruler, right? We remember the young rich ruler. Um, he had done everything in his in his life very right. He had done it all. He had followed the commandments. He you know he lived a very uh, uh, you know apparently righteous life. And then he, um, Jesus says to him, "Okay, cool. That's all great. Now give all your wealth to the poor and follow me." And he was like, oh, wait a minute. But, but you, did, you did see the list of all the good things I've already done, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. That's good. Give your riches over to the poor and follow me. <sighs> yeah, I can't do that, Jesus. I can't do it. I can't do it. And he turned away sad. So right after that, <laughs> right after that, right, the disciples are kind of like caught off guard when Peter decides, hold up, I got a question. You see, he, he just finished telling the parable about this young guy who apparently did all the right things but wasn't willing to leave it all for Jesus. And Peter interrupts like, yo, Jesus, hold on a second. And in Matthew 19, verse 27, it says, then Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? I mean, of course it was Peter, right? Everybody know Peter, you know, pretty much, pretty much what Peter is saying, he's like, um, I just heard the story that you just told me about that dude, right? You know that we've left everything. We've been with you since the beginning. Like, like what, you know, we, we left it all. We left money. We left our jobs. We left our families, some of us. Like, like, like what is it? What's in it for us? And if we're honest today, you know, no one has to raise hands or anything like that. But if we're honest with ourselves today, many of us in our walk with God have said the same to him. What's in it for me? I've been obedient. I go to church. I listen. I submit. I, what's in it for me, Jesus? 
Because sometimes, I don't know, it doesn't seem like I'm getting rewarded for the things that I'm doing. <laughs> and if anyone has served the ministry long enough, that comes up more and more often. We're like, what is going on here? I'm, what's in it for me? Exactly. Now, we're going to answer that question. Jesus turns to him and he answers that question, but we're going to save that for the end to wrap it up. And, and what I want you guys to know is that we, we find the full context of the parable. So here we have the story of the rich, young, uh, the, rich, uh, the, the rich young man, and then we have Peter asking the question. And then after he answers this question, um, there's, a, there's another, uh, there's another uh, situation that happens in Matthew 20 toward the end on uh, Mother the mother of James and John, right? She goes to Jesus and she's like, hey, Jesus, <laughs> um, I need you to put my sons to the left and to the right of you. I want you to put them in a place of importance. Now, we read about this 2,000 years later, about 2,000 years, and some of us are like, what? Who does she think she is? Why does she think she can go to Jesus and tell Jesus where her sons need to be? The truth is 90% of the moms in here would probably do the same thing. Yo, Jesus, my sons, they've been with you from the, you know, since the beginning, you know, like what you got going on for them, how you going to help them, how you going to reward my sons. So we think about it, it's not so crazy, especially when we consider um, the values of the world today. So it's not a bad thing to want your children to be rewarded in, in, their, in their faith, right? Um, especially with what's happening. Her sons have been faithful to Jesus, and she just wants them to be rewarded for their faithfulness. So it's in between these two events. Um, Peter asking about what's in it for us, and then the, 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 story, the account with the mother of James and John. So in the middle, in between... This is where our parable picks up today. Matthew 19:30 to uh, Matthew 19:30 and we're going to go into 20 um, verse 1. It says, "But many who are the greatest will be the least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Now, I want us to, from the get-go, right? From the get-go, verse 20 says, for the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out. So this parable, off the bat, we don't have to try to like figure out like, what is it talking about? It's talking about the kingdom of heaven. You know, it's not about, you know, uh, workers' rights or trying to fight for justice, for the equality pay and things like that. So there's not going to be any of that um, derived from this. Jesus is simply describing how the kingdom operates and specifically how grace operates. If we continue forward, it says this, he agreed to pay the normal daily wage. Now, this version, the NLT, just says wage. Um, um, in, in the New King James Version, it says uh, Daenerys. And Daenerys was the daily wage, right? Um, and he sent the average daily wage. And he sent them out to work 
At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them that he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work with him. They went to work, so they went to work in the vineyard. At noon, again, at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around and asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one has hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. Now, the situation in Israel at the time, honestly, at this, in this scenario, right, wasn't all that much different than what we may see on an early morning at Lowe's or Home Depot in the parking lot, right? We have men that, ha- that, have, that have a desire to work that don't have a consistent job. And so what they do is on a daily basis, they go to this area hoping that they can be hired for one day. And that one day would then result in them getting paid to then be able to feed that family and take care of that family for one day. The next day we do it all over. And the next day we do it all over, right? Um, Usually this group, this group was amongst the poorest and the lowest class members of the community. Um, and they were, they, they, had, they were counting on being hired just so they can feed their families. This, that, that's the scenario that's happening right now, right? When the landowner came and offered the first group workers a denarius to work, 12-hour day, the Jewish workday was from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And as you can see, the first group that he said, he went out early one morning to hire the workers for his vineyard. Those first round of workers started work at 6 a.m., right? Um, One denarius, to give you guys, I guess, a bit of context of how much money that was, um, the Roman soldier wasn't like the most prestigious job but it was, a lot, it was a lot more respected in the community if you were a Roman soldier. And a Roman soldier earned one denarius a day. So if a Roman soldier was earning this a day, it shows us that the, the landowner, the master of the vineyard, was a very generous. Because think about it. You're comparing um, the job of a Roman soldier for someone to go into, like, you know, remember like you go into a farm and you pick berries or you pick, you know, grapes or something like that. Think about it. So he's paying them the same. So you, we see off the bat that this was a very generous landowner. Um, the landowner came back three hours later. So now it's about nine o'clock and he sees more guys just hanging around. And this says that he's offered to pay them whatever was right. Guess what? These guys did not complain. They were like, yo, we take your word for it. Let's go. Maybe they overheard him saying one denarius for a full day. And in their mind, it was like, hey, if he's paying one denarius, that's good with me. I mean, even if I get half of that, I'm good with that. And so in their mind, they were okay with going uh, without even knowing how much they were going to get paid and just say, I trust that he seems generous already. I'm going. And they went. And they went. He goes back again. Again, six hours later, and then nine hours later, and you see that finally, we're going to see that finally, um, an hour before the workday is over. It says at five o'clock, 
the workday is over at 6. And at 5 o'clock, he sees some people still without work, and he says to them, why are you still here? Why are you still here? Because no one hired us. Now, we, now I'm going to tell you something um, which is completely irrelevant to the, to the message today, but I just got to throw it in there like, like a free nugget, right? What, what, what this shows me um, is there, there's, there's, a, there's a character of persistence in, the, in, this, in this last group. You're telling me that it's 5 p.m. and you didn't just quit and go home. They had a need. They had to feed their family. There was no way they were just going to walk away. They, they were consistent. They were, they were persistent. And they were like, go, oh, I, I got to do something. I got to do something. And there are times that we are called to be persistent. We're called to be persistent, to not just throw in the towel, to not say, well, it's too late, or it's not, or I can't do it now. Anyways, so we see the persistence in them, and he says, well, you know what, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. Again, at this moment, there is no agreement concerning pay at all, but they were like, hey, I'm down for whatever he's going to give me. Five o'clock, guys, whatever he gives me, I'm good. So there's nothing scandalous going on yet. No scandal. It's just, you know, hiring workers, right? This was common practice, but the story starts to take a turn in a minute. Matthew 20, verse 8 to 9 says, That evening he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. With the last workers first. When... When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They worked less than an hour because I don't know, I doubt that the vineyard was like next to where they were standing, right? They probably had to drive there or, or walk there or ride a donkey there or something, right? Anyways, they get there, they have less than an hour's worth of work and they get paid a full day's wage? Some of y'all already sick to your stomach. So I can see it in some of your faces. Like, well, I don't know. The, 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 the hate is coming out on some of y'all, like the hate, right? And so, so here, here you have, uh, um, they get paid a full day. Now, because of the fact that these men were depending on their pay to meet the immediate needs of their families. Jewish law required that they uh, get paid at the end of each day. This was just how their laws were set up. And we see that in Deuteronomy verse 24, chapter 24, 14 to 15, never take advantage of poor and destitute laborers, whether they are fellow Israelites or foreigners living in your towns. You must pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. If you don't, they might cry out to the Lord against you, and it will be counted against you as sin. Man, some of y'all are going to take that verse back to your bosses and be like, according to Jewish law, you got to pay me every day. <laughs> no. But, but so, so here he begins to pay. He begins to pay the workers, right? And the foreman does something, you know, he, you, unusual, which he starts to pay the last ones first. Um, they got paid 12-hour day for less than an hour, for less than an hour. 
Now, when all the other workers start to see this generosity, right, they were in line thinking like, oh, this is good. Can you, can you imagine? You worked all day. He just got here. He got a full, worth, a full day's worth of pay. You're thinking like, oh, oh, I'm going to get paid today. I'm going to get paid today. If he got that, I can only imagine what I'm going to get, right? They were certain that they were going to get much more their denarius for their work. And in fact, Jesus, he reveals that this is their mindset when he continues the parable. Verse 12, 10 to 12 says, when, he, when those who, those who's, who, when those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed <laughs> that they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage, a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people only worked one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who's worked all, who we've worked all day in the scorching heat. Here is the scandal. Here is where it all goes crazy, right? Um, and this is, why some, this is the reason why some people really don't um, like this part or, or they get uncomfortable with this part, right? Um, because pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that many of you are identifying with the laborers that have worked all day. You're like, well, I don't think it's right. I mean, if we, if we take a, a vote right now and we say, do you think it's right they all get paid the same? Nobody's going to say, yeah, they should all get paid the same. Because you're imagining yourself working all day in the vineyard, in the heat, sweating, hungry, tired, thirsty, to then get paid the same amount that that guy just got paid. He didn't even break a sweat yet. Matter of fact, the sun was already going down when he started working. Think about this. Think about this. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. Why should the workers who only work one twelfth of the time get paid the same? It's not fair. Come on, let's get together. Gather all the picket signs. We're going to go on strike. That's what happened today, right? That's what happened today. Boycott this company. Don't buy food from this place. All sorts of things. But as Jesus brings the parable to a close, he encourages, and li- and lis- he encourages his listeners to see the situation from a different perspective. Verses 13 and 16 says, he answered one of them, friend, have I been unfair? Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. <laughs> see, Jesus, Jesus, in his parable, it says it nicer than probably I would have said it. Get your money and leave. Like, get out of here, right? I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Now you telling me you mad because I'm choosing to do with what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. The master points out that workers who had worked all day got exactly what they agreed, for, agreed to. He went out early in the morning. He says, listen, I want to hire you. One denarius for the full day. Can you work? Oh, yeah, let's do it. All right, let's go. 
You agreed. They knew what the payment was, and they were okay with it, right? They had not been cheated. They had not been lied to, right? But they only felt cheated because what they were doing is they were looking at what others had received as opposed to what their agreement was. Since the landowner owned the vineyard and it was his money, he used to pay the workers. I mean, it was his. He had the right to determine what he wanted to do with it, right? Why, is it, why are we living in times that we feel like we could tell people how to, how to run their business, right? Or, or, or what to do with, with, with their families. Or what to, you know, I mean, we, we live in a world, right, where everyone feels like they can tell others what to do. His, it was his choice to make all the workers equal, regardless of how much they've worked. Now, the first group of workers, they knew from the beginning how generous he was with them. And, and, and they were happy with knowing that he was going to be generous with them, right? But when he was even more generous with someone else, right, it became a problem. It became a problem because haters are going to hate. That's what happens. That's what happens. And so, <laughs> and so um, but, <laughs> it was a scandal. It was a scandal. Why is it that we are happy with what God gives us, right? Oh, thank you. God, this is wonderful. I've been wanting one of these all my life. And then all of a sudden, you know, somebody else gets something else. Oh, wow. And then they're over here hating like, wow. Uh, that's a lot nicer than this. You couldn't do better, God? You couldn't hook me up? Just a second ago, you were praising God for what he's given you. Just a second ago, you were like, thank you, thank you. And you, were, you, were, you had a heart of gratitude. You were, you were, you, you were grateful. You were thankful. You, you, know, you, were, you were praising him for the blessing that he gave you. And the second your eyes turned from your own stuff and you began to look at what other people had, all of a sudden the joy, the gratefulness, the thankfulness that you once had now is being sucked out of your life as you're looking at what someone else has. When we began, we, 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 you, you started to focus on what other people had, what, other, what God is doing in other people's lives. Listen, the only time it's okay to be like looking at woman's life and to see what God is doing is to be like, praise God. Wow, that's amazing. I'm so glad to see that God is doing that. Sharing, you know, being excited for what God is doing in, our, in the lives of our brothers and sisters. We are not supposed to be um, living lives as Christians hating when God does something good for somebody else. Come on. Come on. Think about it. Think about it. You know, there was a saying, and I don't, I, don't, I don't not remember it at all, but it has something to do with um, within a family, right? In, in, the, in the context of not being jealous of one another in a family, the context was like if, if and I'm just using that as an example because I don't remember the saying, if my wife does well, then I do well. If I do well, then she does well. 
my household does well. It doesn't matter who is doing what, but as, as a unit, as a family, if one or two in the house are doing what the family is doing well. And so we are happy, we are excited of what God is doing within the family. This is Lighthouse Family Center. If God is doing something great in Mike's life, then he's doing something great in my life. Do you, do you see how it works? If God is doing something great in Victor's life, then he's doing something great in my life. You know, and so I, I, I praise God for that. Man, God, thank you for what you're doing in Brother Victor's life. Thank you for speaking to him. Thank you for, you know, I'm like, that's what our, that's what our daily um, action should look like. Many times we are missing out on the blessing right in front of us because we are too busy Focus on the lives and the possessions of other people. The blessing is right in front of you, but you can't see it. You can't see it. You're too busy looking everywhere else. This parable, it reveals the scandalous nature of God's grace. And God's grace is scandalous, one, because grace gives us what we need, not what we deserve. The first group of workers, they thought (laughs) what they... They were focused on what they thought they deserved. They were focused on what they thought they deserved. If the last group, or the last group of workers received one denarius, then by fairness, if they worked one hour and got one denarius, then I've worked 12 hours, so I should have 12 denariuses or denarii or denari, denari. So think about it. I mean, all of y'all would do the same math too. When you get your paycheck, you look at it like, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. How much you get? You got the same as me? This should be, this should be multiplied by 12. The landlord who represents God in this parable was not focused on what the workers deserved. He was focused on what they needed and all the workers had the very same need. They had to feed and take care of their family, right? They all had the same need. They had to support their family for the day, and that's what one denarius provided. So that's what the landowner did. Regardless of what they deserved, he gave them what they needed. That's exactly how grace works in the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone deserves grace. (laughs) Even though many of us would say, well, not us, maybe somewhere else, right? But some people would, would like to think that they may deserve it more than others, right? That they may deserve it more than others. And the truth of the matter is that no one deserves God's grace. No one deserves God's grace. But you know what? It's obvious that everyone needs it. We all need it, right? Um, Jesus has made it that grace, that, that, uh, grace is available equally to all of us. And he did this by laying down his life, right, to purchase that grace on our behalf Although 
that grace costs us nothing. And nothing we do, we, nothing we can do, we can do nothing to deserve it. It costs Jesus everything. In today's culture, this idea of grace gives us what, uh, what we need. The idea that grace gives us what we need rather than what we deserve is a scandal because it goes against our thinking in this culture. Today's culture goes against that. It's about what you deserve. Today's culture, first of all, people feel entitled. People are walking around thinking that they deserve things when there's no way to deserve them in the first place. They walk around entitled. Well, you know what? I should, they should, people should. And, like, you know, like, and they walk around with this entitled feeling. And then at the same time, we have people that, that are like living their lives in a way where like, you only should get what you deserve. You only get what you deserve. People think that they deserve more than that, more than, more than the things that they already have. And the thing is that this thinking of today's society has a horrible impact, has a horrible impact on our ability, our ability to be grateful and thankful for what we've already been given. So many ungrateful people these days. Sheesh. Okay. So first of all, God's grace is scandalous because it gives us what we need, not what we deserve. Second is scandalous because grace makes us all equal. Equal? I'm not equal. It makes us all equal. You know, we live in times, you know, where everybody gets a trophy. You get a trophy, and you get a trophy, and you get a trophy, and Rex, you get a trophy. Everybody gets a trophy. You lost, but you get a trophy. Right? I, you know, what can we do? That's the world we live in now, Right? Everyone gets a trophy. Whether you win or you lose, you get a trophy. But if we're honest with each other again, if we lose and someone hands you a trophy, you know you didn't earn that. You know, you know, you might be taking the trophy like, oh, thank you. It might make you feel worse. I mean, don't give me a trophy if I didn't earn it because it makes me feel worse. Like, oh, now y'all just got pity on me. No, I'd rather lose with dignity. Like, let me lose a dignity. Don't give me a trophy because you felt bad for me, right? But, if we, but, but And then for those that win and are watching someone else get a trophy, you're sitting there like, what? Why he getting that? We're the one that won. We're, we won, not them. It doesn't feel good to watch someone get a trophy when they didn't earn that trophy. And that's just the truth. There was a topic uh, several years ago about, well, I think more than several years ago now, but it was a big movement about e income equality versus inequality. And, and then that branched into race and then branched into gender and it branched into all sorts of different things. Remember that whole movement where women and men are the same job title, not making the same money, um, black and white and Hispanic, like all the same jobs, but not making enough money. I mean, there was this whole thing that happened, right? Um, and there was a question of like, oh, but, 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 but they have the same job title, so they should, you know, they should be getting paid the same. But then there was a breakdown in that, and it was like, well, okay, putting aside all the, the, the other stuff as far as race and gender and all that and, and age, putting aside all that, 
just because they have the same job title really doesn't mean they should get paid the same because what if one works harder than the other, right? And it was this whole different, it was all this that was happening. My point of bringing up that example is that not to argue whether the inequalities were right or wrong and things like that, but to make a point about this is the fact of life here on earth. This is how people think. This is what people in their mind are thinking on a daily basis when it comes to what you've earned, what you deserve, things like that. God's kingdom works differently. You'll notice that the complaint of the first worker, of the first group of workers in verse 12 was that the landowner had made those that had worked only one hour equal to them. How could you? How could they be equal to us? And they grumbled and complained. Are there some of us here? Don't raise your hands. Are there some of us here <laughs> that feel that you deserve more than others? Do you feel that you should get special treatment? Do you feel that way? Are you living and, and acting and carrying yourself in a way that you feel more entitled and you feel that you deserve more than others? And in that feeling of thinking that you deserve more than others, think about your current state of emotion. Are you upset a lot? Are you grumbling? Are you complaining? It, are, are you not as joyful as you may have been in the past? Well, guess what? That's why. That's why. They were, remember, remember they, were, they were grumbling and complaining because they felt that they should have gotten more. And so what happens in our walk with God, sometimes we think that we deserve more, and we begin grumbling and complaining to God. You know, you know the typical, you know, nightmare that happens that we see on TV when the parent says no to the kid in this toy store and the kid throws himself on the floor and all that stuff. And you see it on, in the movies because it doesn't happen with any of our kids. But you see it in the movies. They, they call the cops on us when our kids do that. <laughs> um, um, but, but what happens is they, 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 you see this whole, whole thing of, a tantrum because you didn't get what you want. And I believe that God looks at us and we look like that to him. We look like that child crying and screaming and throwing a tantrum because we didn't get what we want because we're comparing it to what someone else got. Are you living a joyful life? in your walk with the Lord? Do you find yourself filled with joy or do you find yourself these days more complaining, more grumbling, you know, just disturbed? Because you have to then evaluate yourself. Are you focusing on the blessings that God has already given you or are you so focused on what you don't have based off of what someone else may have? There's two, there's two important spiritual factors um, that we can draw from the fact that, they made them, that the landowner made them equal. And first is that God's grace 
is made equally available to all of us. It doesn't discriminate on sex, race, um, relig- uh, even religion or any other factor. His grace is for all. Social status, nothing. Um, nothing, it, it, it's, it's for everything. Everyone has an equal opportunity to obtain. Everyone has the equal opportunity to obtain um, uh, the, his grace. And it's not based on the ability to perform in any type of way. It's not based on what you've done. Isn't this good news? Like, isn't this really good news? Grace is available to all of us. And it's not based off of what we've done. Because some of us will be out of, like, really out of, we'll be, we'll be hurting. We'll be hurting. And some of us will be really hurting and some of us will be really mad. Because we'd be like, well, but I did so much. That's the good news. Second, those who have accepted God's grace are equal in the eyes of God. We're equal in the eyes of God. In God's eyes, there's no separation of classes um, of Christ's flowers. Now, it doesn't mean that we won't receive different rewards. The Bible talks about that, right? We're not, I'm not saying that we're not going to receive different rewards or have different levels of responsibility within the kingdom of God. What I'm saying is that we all have equal standing in the kingdom. So in the kingdom, we can say everybody wins. Grace is scandalous because it gives us what we need, not what we deserve. And because it makes us all equal. The last point I want to make in closing is that grace is scandalous because grace is its own reward. We're so focused on looking for what the reward is and realizing that grace itself was the reward. Do do you see that? All right, remember I said I was going to come back and answer Peter's question? You know, we're going to go to see what Jesus said to Peter. When Peter was like, well, what's in it for us? We've left everything. We've, we, we've followed you. What's in it for us? We find the answer at the end of chapter 19 of Matthew, verse 28 and 29. It says, Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. Well, that's a pretty good deal. All right, Jesus. All right. Now, we see here, this is clearly a future reward for the disciples, right? He, 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 uh, he put, he, Jesus says that one day they'll be put in a position of authority. They'll be able to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, but I also want to read in the same account, right, um, the parable when, when Jesus is responding to Peter's question, but in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 10, verse 29 and 30, it's very similar, but there's a, there's a little bit of a difference that I want to, that, that he, he kind of he kind of makes it more apparent um, in, in Mark. And it says this, Jesus replied, yes, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news 
will receive now in, in, a, in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, property, along with persecution. Oh, people, a lot of people leave that out. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. Now, there are two rewards the disciples are going to receive. One future, right, in the age to come, which talks about the fulfillment of, um, uh, the fulfillment of aspects of eternal life and, you know, the authority to judge. And then you have the, another reward where they're going to, according to Mark, to receive now in this time, a hundredfold in return on their investment in the kingdom. Now, um, this, this verse has been taken out of context in different uh, platforms, and, and then it kind of spirals into more of a prosperity gospel movement, and they take that and they feel like that, that's exactly what it means. But it doesn't literally mean that you're going to have a hundred times more relatives and houses and all that, right, that they currently have. And, you know, Jesus, what he's pretty much telling them is that immediately after these, uh, he, he tells them that you just don't, you're not going to have to wait to the end of day to be rewarded. Now, when we think of rewards, we start to think of money, house, cars, all the material things. Because that's what we've been conditioned to think. That's what we've been conditioned to believe. We look at, well, if you're going to reward me, it's got to be something, you know, what, what, what are you giving me? What are you giving me? You see, the first group of workers had a reward that the last group of workers never received. They got to work side by side with the generous master throughout the day in the vineyard. That in itself was a reward. But they didn't see it that way. They didn't see it that way. Many of us, we come to Christ, and, we, and if we look at, if we break down the parable, those that, those that uh, are, are serving, uh, those that got picked up in the morning, they pretty much represent Christians at a, at a deeper, more mature level. They've been Christians for a long time. They've been serving the Lord. And then you have those that come in last second and they become Christian. You know, they receive Christ and now they're serving the Lord and they receive the same thing that you received. I mean, we both get eternal life, but I've been serving God for, for like 50 years and they just started serving God for, for five days. But the reward is still the same. The payment is still the same. What happens is this, many times as, as, as servants in the ministry, as servants for his kingdom, we don't realize that the many years that we spend working in ministry, loving others, caring for others, and, 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 and giving and sacrificing of yourself, all those years was actually rewards. You got a chance to work in the kingdom. People are like, I don't see it that way, Pastor. It's a reward. It's a reward. Try to cleanse your mind of what society says should be your reward and look at what um, we're learning from this parable. They, had, they, were, they were side by side working in the vineyard, working for the kingdom of heaven. But all that was robbed from them when they looked at what someone else got. 
They rob themselves of the joy of that experience. Grace is scandalous because it violates the norm of our culture. For most people, <laughs> the main reward that we receive, the paycheck, right, after that work, but when it comes to grace, God's grace, living under that grace is its own reward. It's, I, I don't know if, if it's easy to understand. I mean, in my head it makes sense. Grace in itself is our reward. When we live in a grace-based relationship with Jesus, we don't have to wait until we die and go to heaven to get our reward. That's why the most joyful people that I know, like, I, you know, the most joyful people that I know, right, are those who are in a vital relationship with God. They're, they're in a relationship with God, right, that, that, they, that, that they, they make an, uh, an intentional decision on a day-by-day basis to wake up and say, I'm working side-by-side side with you, Jesus, today. I'm working on my side. I'm working in the kingdom. And, and it's like the knowing that, 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 that they are being rewarded because at this moment they're under the grace and they are working for the kingdom of heaven. It's not always easy. And sometimes we have to work through the burdens, like we have to work through the scorching heat of the day. It's, that's what happens. It's not always easy. But even if we don't get a tangible reward at the end of the day, living under God's grace in, is a reward in itself. Church, can you stand with me this morning? I want to leave you with one last thing. Back in the late 70s, back in the late 70s, I believe it was 1978 to be exact, this guy kills another man. He then proceeds to dismember his body and spread the pieces into the woods, right? A couple years later, he kills another man. He dismembers the body and he spreads those pieces around. And to this day, that guy's full parts were never found. Fast forward, this same man would eventually kill 15 more men. A total of 17 men within 13 years. Each death was, each, each murder was gruesome. It involved taking, cutting, taking stuff apart, removing body parts, putting them in the refrigerator, eating some parts of the body later. This is a true story. In the last part of his life, he was finally caught and sent to prison. After, after uh, 17 murders he was, and 13 years, he was finally caught. And the last part of his life, history tells us that Jeffrey Dahmer gave his life to Christ. History shows that if you watch his documentary, it shows it, it shows it in there too. He gave his life to Christ. He repented of his sins. 
what are you trying to tell me, Pastor? What does this mean? Does this mean that when we get to heaven, there's actually a chance that we might run into Jeffrey Dahmer in heaven? You mean like I'm going to see Jeffrey Dahmer who just, who killed 17 guys, he ate them, he mutilated them, things like that. I, I may actually see him in heaven. What? This is an outrage. This is scandalous. It's not fair. He deserves to spend the rest of his eternity in hell. Look at that. Perfect timing. <laughs> It would have been better if it had been like, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> That's what he deserves. Do you know the families that he, do you know what he put those families through? Those are 17 men that had moms, dads, sisters, brothers, cousins, friendships. Thousands of people, thousands of people affected by his decisions. And you're telling me that he did what? And that he might be where? It's just not fair. It's just not fair. Prayer team, can you please make your way up? Yes. Hey, if you ask me, I think you're right. I mean, I, I would say the same thing. It's not fair. It's not fair. I mean, I didn't kill nobody. Yet. No, I'm playing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't do those things. Why, why should we get the same thing? Why should he get the same thing that I'm going to get? When you saw how horrible his life was, and how nice mine is. That's a joke. You guys can laugh at that. You know what? If we go by what he deserves, then we're all right. He does deserve eternity in hell. But so do we. But grace gives us what we need, not what we deserve. What we all need is salvation. That's what we need. That's what we need. Christ died on that cross for all of us. Yes, some of us are more stubborn and hard-headed than others, but he died for you too. John 1, 16 and 17, I didn't give you guys this verse, so don't worry about it. It says, in all his fullness, we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Today, after that story, we shouldn't be angry. We should be encouraged. Because guess what? We've made mistakes. We've fallen short. 
We've disobeyed. We've lied. We've stolen. We've cheated. We've rebelled. We've talked about people. We've conspired. People are guilty of all these things. But it's because of his grace that we don't get what we deserve. We get what we need. Salvation. Eternity with the Father. We get his love. We get his forgiveness. We get his salvation.